All right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys today as we continue our series called The King is Coming. Man, I hope you're having a great Christmas series uh, or season so far. The weather's been perfect around here. I mean, high humidity and heat is awesome for Christmas time, right? It's been great. But hey, we're having Christmas in here, and this has been a good time. And what we've done during this series is we decided we would take a look at the first two weeks these prophecies from the Old Testament. So we went to Jeremiah, went to Zephaniah, and we looked at these prophecies about the Messiah. They were looking through the lens of prophecy to the day that Jesus was going to come. Well, we look back at his coming. We realize he did come exactly the way they said that he would. And we live in what we call the in-between. We live in between the first time Jesus came, Christmas, the incarnation, and his second coming in our future. And how many of you are looking forward to that day, right? Yeah, that's going to be a good day. I promise you it's going to be a good day. So we are looking at the idea, though, that Jesus was and is a king. The prophets foretold that he was a king and he would be a king. The Romans got it right. When they crucified Jesus, they put a sign on the cross that said, we're killing a king today. This guy claims to be a king and he was a king. And what I want you to see today is that if he is a king, that means he also has a kingdom. Kings have kingdoms. And Jesus has a kingdom and he introduced the idea when he began to teach of the kingdom. Jesus was born a baby, but you know he's not a baby anymore. Will Farrell wants you to believe he's always sweet baby Jesus, if you've ever seen Talladega Nights. If you've not seen it, just ignore that I ever said that, all right? But if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Jesus is not in a manger anymore. Jesus grew up, became an adult man. And at 30 years old, he began to teach and preach. And for three plus years, he taught. And one of the main components of his teaching was the introduction of the kingdom of God. And what's interesting about that song we just sang, the reason we did that song is not for its theological value. We did that song on purpose. Because we wanted you to understand that the people who wrote that song were not Christians. Uh, the woman who popularized it, Amy Grant, is and was a Christian when she sang it. But the people who wrote it did not. Those words came out of the hearts of writers, human writers, who said, what if we write a song about what adult humans would want if they could make the world the way they would want it to be? And those are the words that came out. Even in a dark world, do you know the Bible says in the Old Testament that every human being created, God has put eternity in their hearts. Did you know that? Eternity is in the hearts of every human. Meaning that we've got something inside of us, the Imago Dei, we're made in the image of God. There's something inside of us that looks around the world and says, this isn't right. We look at poverty, we look at pain, we look at suffering, we go, "This, there's something broken, there's something wrong with this. And, and 30 years ago, when that song was written, in the early 90s, when they sat down and wrote that song... Out of the human heart came this idea, if we could make the world, this is what it would look like. And do you know what? What they said in that song is what the kingdom of God looks like. Isn't that interesting? The very thing that just came out of a human heart in that song is exactly what Jesus was saying that he was going to bring. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a castle. He's not talking about a palace. He's not talking about land. He's talking about something greater. And we're going to talk about that today, the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came, he began to introduce this idea of the kingdom of God. And what we have defined the kingdom of God as here at Three Circle Church, it is the rule and the reign of Jesus in the hearts of his people. If you want to just write that somewhere, you can. It's the rule and the reign of Jesus in the hearts of his people. Jesus said, my kingdom is not like any other kingdom you've ever seen. It's different. His is the invisible kingdom. If you remember, when he was on trial, Pilate said, so they say you're a king. Do you say you're a king? Yes, I am a king. Then where's your kingdom? Was Pilate's obvious question. 
And Jesus had to tell him, my kingdom's not like any kingdom you've ever seen. It works different. It is different. And here at Christmas time, after taking two weeks to prove and see that the Bible says Jesus is our king, and if you are a Christian, he is not just your savior, he must be your king. Then today we need to know, well, what is his kingdom like? Now, Jesus grows up, begins to teach, and there was this day where Jesus taught Christians how to pray. Now, we learned about a month ago that he had a prayer that he prayed. It's called the high priestly prayer. We're not supposed to pray his prayer. But he gave us what's called the Lord's Prayer for us to pray. And in that prayer, he taught us to pray about the kingdom of God. It's that important. Now, let me remind you how the Lord's Prayer breaks down. It may help you to remember that. So when Jesus taught us to pray, he does not let us start our prayer off by asking for stuff. So you can't. Jesus said, when you pray, don't start by saying, give me, heal me, help me, uh, show me, bless me. Now, you can get to that in the prayer. But he doesn't want you to start there. How does Jesus tell us to start our prayers when we pray to God? Well, most theologians call the first half of the Lord's Prayer a reorientation of our hearts. We are supposed to realign our hearts with God in the beginning of the prayer. So how many of you have ever knocked your car out of alignment? You ever had that happen? Where you're going down the road and you hit a few of those speed bumps, you know, even though there was a sign telling you, speed bump, and then another one, speed bump, you want to go ahead and hit that thing, right? I've never done that. But I'm sure some of you have. Okay, so anyway, you hit that speed bump and you know, oh man, and your car is pulling one way and you take it to the mechanic and they say, hey, your car is out of alignment and for $8,000 we'll put it back in line. No problem. <laughs> so you do it because, I mean, you can't do it. So you got to get it back in line because it got knocked out of line. Jesus understood that we as humans, as we live life, our hearts get knocked out of alignment. We're, not, we're no longer in alignment with him. So when you pray, before you ever ask God for anything, he wants you to realign your heart with him. And the way you do that is by praying the way Jesus said, right? He said, our father, not, my, not just my father, he reminds us we're in a family. Our father, he's not just some force out there. If you're a Christian, you're his child and he is your father. You're reorienting. See how he taught you to pray? Our father, who art in heaven, a reminder, God is over us. He's not just your BFF. He's also God over all things in heaven, but intimate enough to be your father. Our father who art in heaven, then that next word, right? Hallowed be your name. You're reminded that this God you're speaking to who is your father also is holy. He is holy. We are reminded that we should treat him as such. And then the next line, before we ever ask God for anything, we're to pray this. Look what he said, Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. One more time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's so powerful about this verse is that Jesus introduces you to the idea that he is a king and he has a kingdom. And then he defines it for you. What is the kingdom of God? It is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we say the rule and reign of Jesus in the hearts of his people. Where the will of God is done, the kingdom of God is. And so when we begin to understand this concept today, we need to ask ourselves as believers this Christmas, do we really take this seriously? Do we understand that Jesus did not just save us, he's also our king, he's over us, and if we are a part of his kingdom, there's some requirements to being a part of his kingdom. Now I've been doing ministry for a long time, and the one thing I've seen among many is that people love Jesus to be their savior, but they're not so big on him being king. You want to know why? Because kings are bossy. Kings will tell you what to do. Kings will get all up in your business. You know what I'm saying? 
kings tell you to change how you spend your money. Change how you spend your time. Change how you treat people. Change how you're angry. Change all of those things. Kings get in your business. They're kings. And Jesus cannot just be your savior. He is a king. And he comes in and rules and reigns in your life. Here's great news, though. It's often been said, the, the worst system ever to be under is under a bad dictator or a bad king. But the best thing in the world is to be a part of a kingdom that has a good king. That's the best thing in the world. I got good news for you. The kingdom of God has the greatest of kings. And his commands for us are always good. Everything he's told us to do is good for us and ultimately for his glory. So let's dive into this. First of all, you need to know that our calling as Christians on earth, and that's where we are. We're in the in-between. In-between his first and second coming. Our calling as Christians on earth is to introduce the kingdom in and through our lives. And now you know what kingdom is. Introducing the rule and reign of Jesus in and through our lives, in every environment we're in. In our homes, in schools, in our church, in our community, wherever we go, how do we take the kingdom with us? Well, we're not like building a palace everywhere we go. No, we're bringing the rule and reign of Jesus into every environment that we step into. That's what it looks like. Now, to be a part of his kingdom, there are requirements like there are for any kingdom that has ever been. There are requirements. And the list I'm about to give you is not exhaustive, but it's a pretty good one that I want to give you today, and I want us to focus on this Christmas, all right? This baby we're celebrating, we have sung about today, but is a king, became a man, taught us about his kingdom. And if you want to be a part of his kingdom, here's four things I think that are important. We'll start with number one. Joyful alignment with God's will and his commands is a requirement for the kingdom. Now let's just be logical about this. When Jesus talks about the kingdom on the earth, you need to understand he does have a tangible kingdom. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father. God dwells in his kingdom. He has a real kingdom. It is a different realm than the realm we're in now. Now we could go into all, like I could spend weeks talking about this, but I'm just going to tiptoe into it for a moment to make sure you understand it. There is, a, there is a tangible kingdom, and if we understand the Bible correctly, one day all of these things are going to be brought together. The new Jerusalem is going to come down. This earth will be renovated. I got good news for you. Heaven's not going to be you floating around with a gown on playing a harp forever. That, that sounds like the bad place to me. No, no, the Bible's clear. Our earth will be renovated. There will be art and music and concerts and laughter and great wine and great dinners and, I don't know, charcuterie boards. That's kind of cool now. I think they're going to be there. I mean, there's going to be great food. You're going to have adventure and life. I'm just telling you, you got no idea what God has in store for you. It's going to be good. We can celebrate that, right, this Christmas? We have a king. His kingdom is awesome. But here's something about the kingdom of God that is true. Jesus says... In heaven, the kingdom, we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom on earth. And just so you know, God's will always gets done in heaven. Everyone obeys him. There is no disobedience. In fact, there was an attempt to be disobedient in heaven once. And we know that story. Satan and one-third of the angels of heaven, Satan being an archangel, they were cast out of heaven. You don't disobey in heaven. Heaven is a place of total alignment with God's will, which makes it the greatest place ever. Now, how many of you know God's will is not always done right now on this earth? How many of you understand that? Only three of you? Let me help the rest of you. It's not always, it's not always done here. Just, our world is broken. Our world is dark. You look around and there's all kinds of misalignment in our world. I was talking to a gentleman. I, I got to be with the founder of Compassion International a few weeks ago in South Dakota. And he looked at me and he said, you do understand 
that there is more than enough food to feed every human on this earth. There is no reason for anyone to be hungry on earth. He said, you do know there's enough medicine to take care of every human on this earth. There is no reason for people, for kids to lose their lives to just normal illnesses in this world. There's plenty. There's no reason for any human on earth to not have a place to live. There is plenty. This world is broken. And so we understand that in heaven, God's will is always done. So that means that on earth, how do we bring heaven to earth? By doing his will. His people do what we would do if we were in heaven. That means we joyfully align our lives with his commands. And the reason we do it joyfully and not begrudgingly is because we understand that his commands for us are always good. How many of you understand that today? How many of you know the best life to live is one underneath the rule and reign of Jesus? And you've seen that to be true in your life. I have as well. So now, we've all told our kids to do things and they begrudgingly complied. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, I've said clean your room and then have to, you know, you throw out the consequences of not cleaning your room, like we're not going to feed you for six months, stuff like that. So, okay, I'll clean the room. And then you can hear like stuff being slung around in there. It's not ha- they're not happy, you know. Sometimes, uh, very few times have I said clean the rooms and my kids go, thank you, Father, for your love for me. They don't sing songs. They don't, I don't hear them whistling a tune of joy as they clean up. No, no, it's begrudging, Okay. But, but we as Christians mature and we, we don't begrudgingly comply. We joyfully align our lives with the commands of God. We go, God, if you say it, we do it because we trust in him. Now, another great king, King David, who understood his place, that he was just holding the throne for Jesus. King David wrote these words about the commands of God. He became mature in his faith. He began to understand and he, he among all people understood when you disobey God, it goes real bad. And David had tasted that and he knew the 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 commands of God were good for him. And he said this, he said, Lord, your commands are like honey to my lips. Your commands are like honey, your word, like the greatest thing. Now, let me help you understand what honey was in David's day. It was, uh, I don't know, uh, tiramisu. It was the best chocolate chip cookie you've ever had. It was, just think of your favorite dessert you've ever had. We all have favorite desserts, right? My wife makes this unbelievable chocolate cake that's literally life-changing. So honey in David's day was dessert. I like ice cream. Any ice cream fans in the room? Mr. Jeans Beans, my jam, downtown Fairhope, man. Mm, Butter pecan, thank you, Lord. That's one of God's good gifts to humanity. Dessert. Well, in David's day, dessert was honey. And David says, God, I have figured out The hard way. That your commands, your commands are so good. I have figured out that when you tell me to do something, it's so for my good that I would compare it to honey, the sweetest explosive flavor ever. It's something that you just cherish. It's so good. You desire it. You want it. David said, that's how I have grown to see your commands as my God and my king. And that's for us today to begin to see the commands of God, not as, oh, here's my rule book. No, no, as life-giving the commands of God. And if we're going to be a part of his kingdom, that's what it looks like. Now, let me ask you a question today. As Christians, is your life in alignment with him? Let me ask you this. What in your life, if you walked into the tangible kingdom of heaven today, like you walked into heaven today, what would they tell you you're going to have to leave at the door? 
You ever been in the line at the airport and you realize, you know, you got a big coffee or a cappuccino and you forget about it and they get there and you've taken like one sip and, and I think there's a little joy in their hearts when they get to tell you, you can't take that in. And so then you're like, just trying to get it down, you know, and you throw it in the trash. Man, let me ask you something. What, if you stepped into heaven right now, what would they look at you in your life right now? What would, what would God look at you and say, that's not coming in? The way you treat people? The way you see people? See, no one's going to be devalued in heaven. If you have issues with people because of the color of their skin, that's not coming in. See, I rhymed to help you remember that. Some of you caught it. Like, Man, that was quick. Anger is not coming in. Bitterness is not coming in. Unforgiveness not coming in. Selfishness not coming in. Lust not coming in. There's things that you're going to have to leave there. So what Jesus is saying is, don't play the one-day game as Christians. Too many Christians say, one day when we get to glory, I grew up singing that song, I'll fly away, oh, and everybody, that day, all oh, is going to be right. Jesus says, stop with all that. Don't wait for one day to align with my will. Now, right now, today, in Fairhope, Alabama, at Three Circle Church, line your life up with God's commands and his will. He's king right now. Not one day, today. Not one day, now. In your home, in your marriage, with your kids, with your friendships, with your mind, with your heart. Right now, joyfully align your life with God's will and his commands. And it will be good for you. And his commands are not suggestions. Kings don't suggest anything. Kings don't say, if you can, give it a shot. If you have time, if it's not too much trouble. You've never heard a king talk like that. Kings say, do this. Jesus is not suggesting things to us. Jesus says, do this. I know what you need to do. And it's good for us. So that's the kingdom. Remember, in heaven, God's will is always done. And Jesus says, I want you to pray for his will to be done on earth like it is in heaven. Like it is in heaven. Secondly, I think it's going to require radical kindness and generosity towards other people. Humans are of unbelievable value to God, and it will be that way in heaven. There will be no one treated as less than human in heaven. So let's not one day this thing, let's say now, as Christians, wherever we are, humans get treated with dignity. Now, and you know where that starts? In your home. Like everybody in your home, if you're a Christian, should get treated with dignity. Treated with respect and love and honor. That's where it starts. And in church, we should treat each other. Remember all those rules in the New Testament? And Paul and Peter, they go into great lengths to teach the churches how to treat one another with love and honor and forgiveness and care. Why do we do that? Because his will must be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the place that better be happening is the church. So we treat humans with the utmost respect, <clears throat> even those we disagree with. So Republicans, if you're Christians, you've got to love Democrats. And Democrats, if you're a Christian, you've got to love Republicans. I know it's hard. Albies are going to have to love Bammers. See, y'all laughed at that. The other one makes you kind of mad. We think politics, everybody gets mad. But I say college football, you kind of ease up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're going to have to treat people with respect. But I think most of us, when we think that, we think, yeah, out there, I'm going to treat everyone with respect out there. And it always starts in your home, then your church, then out there. What am I saying? I'm saying, look, don't 
don't act like you're heroic because you treat a stranger somewhere with great respect and you treat your spouse horrifically. Can I get an amen in this room? Are y'all really that mad? That's what I'm talking about. Kindness and generosity towards other people. This means that, this means that we love people. We care for people. We, we assume the best about people. Oh, my goodness. You're going to get a great way to do this over the next week. You're going to be hanging out with some people that you're mad at. Right? You're going to be sitting at the table eating turkey, looking people in the eye. You're going to have knives in your hands. Right? Can you love them? Can you care for them? Can you care more for that person's well-being and hope for them and desire for them and want the best for them? Can you do that with those folks? That's the call of Christianity. This is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom looks like loving people and caring for people. Thirdly, it means embracing the value system of heaven. If I'm going to bring heaven to earth right now, not one day now, it means I have to embrace a different value system. And heaven has a, all kingdoms have a value system. And heaven has a distinct value system and Jesus taught it to us. Jesus said the value system of heaven doesn't look like the world's. The world's all about get ahead, make a buck, make a dollar, run people over if you have to. Jesus flips the whole thing down, upside down. So it's a totally different value system. And the Bible actually warns us about not buying into the wrong system. See, systems are something you buy into. You buy into a way of doing things. In 1 John, it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. I want you to look at this verse. not in your handout. Put it on the screen. So let me tell you who John was. John was the, young, the youngest of the disciples. He saw Jesus die, only disciple that saw him die. He grows up, obviously, becomes one of the great leaders of the early church. He's an old guy when he writes 1 John. He's pastoring, most believe, the church of Ephesus at that point. He was their pastor. And everybody loved John. John, he was the mayor, I guess. You know, everybody loved, loved him. And he wrote these words. Let's read them and then dig in. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. They're going to leave it up for just a second. Now, this verse is dripping with incredible instruction for Christians when you understand it. So the word world here, the word world can mean, let's say, three main things. It can mean the earth, the dirt, the ground you're standing on, but that's not what this one means. When you say the word world, it can mean people, the world, the people of the world. For God so loved the world. That, that's all about people, but that's not what this word means. This is a unique Greek word. This word world is cosmos. And this word, world, cosmos, means a system or a way of doing things. That's what John is warning. They knew what he was talking about. He said, don't buy into this world's cosmos. It's way of doing things. It's value system. And when he says love here, he does not mean the way you would love people or the way you'd love something else. No, he means buy-in. To love a system means you buy into it. You operate by its rules. And this world has a value system, and it's not supposed to be ours as Christians. When we become Christians, we are supposed to trade the value system of the world for the value system of heaven. And this is important because he also helps you understand the mutual exclusivity of the two. You cannot love the system of God. And how do you love a system? You buy in. You can't buy into God's system and buy into the world system at the same time. You can't do it. So when you're operating, even this was written to Christians, by the way, but Christians can fall into this trap. When you're operating with the system of the world, you are not operating in the system of heaven. And 
When you operate in the system of heaven, you are not. They cannot mingle. They don't mingle. That's what he's saying. And so as Christians today, we've got to decide what are we buying into? Who's, are we going to buy into the system of the world? Are we going to buy into materialism? More? Bet, build a bigger barn? Jesus told a whole story about a guy that just kept building bigger barns. We all have bigger barn syndrome. We just need more stuff. We rent buildings to put our stuff in when we don't have room in our barn that's not big enough for all of our stuff. So we just build another barn and another barn. We just need more stuff. Right? And now it's Christmas time. You're about to get more stuff. Build a bigger barn. Right? What do we buy? Do we buy into the system of the world where we think, hey, we're going to push our kids? Our kids have to be popular. They have to be great. They have to be awesome athletes. My kid's going to be a pro. No, he's not. You do know he's not, right? Like, like it's like, like the best, like every kid, every NFL player was the best at every level. Like they owned their town and then they owned their college. Yeah, they're, they're that good. Like the percentage is unbelievable. And yet, and I love sports, but can we just stop for a minute and take a breath and go, are we buying into the wrong system here sometimes? Oh, now I got the room mad. <laughs> I'm in the pot with you guys. I'm in the boat rowing it with you, okay? What system do we buy into? Jesus says we need to buy into his value system. On earth as it is in heaven, your will be done. By the way, I find that Christians sometimes buy into ideological and political systems more than they do God's system. So let me just tell you, if, you are re- if you're really going to walk the way of Christ, Republicans and Democrats will get mad at you. I speak from experience. <laughs> Conservatives aren't going to think you're conservative enough Liberals aren't going to think you're liberal enough if you walk with Jesus. Because Jesus made all those groups angry too. The zealots that wanted the Romans run out of town, they're like, should we be paying taxes to Caesar? Jesus, give Caesar what's Caesar's. Oh, you know how mad that made them? They were on Facebook. (laughs) Right? And then Jesus spoke into a secular culture, the Romans, and said that murder was wrong. And that life mattered, the life of everyone, from an older person to an unborn child. See, this is what walking with Jesus looks like. It looks like buying into his system, not any system of the world. And then fourthly, being in the kingdom requires actively seeking to make all things good and right. Actively seeking. It's active. The kingdom of heaven is active. It's not just something we go, ooh, that's nice. That's why Jesus said it's not a palace that you can behold. It's not a, a, a castle that you can tour and then leave. No, it goes with you. It's a way of doing things. It's life. That's what Jesus was bringing us. And it requires us making things good and right. Because in heaven, everything's right. And don't we all know that not, nothing seems to be right on this earth right now? But Christians get unleashed into the world. That's why Jesus said, I want them in the world, not of it. What that means is we're in this world operating by heaven's standards. We are people on earth living by the kingdom standards. And the whole world looks and goes, what is that? And some people are repelled by it. We hate that. But the Bible tells us that lots of people are going to be drawn to it, to the glory of God. Because when Christians get asked about the way we live life, we always point to our king. Right? Christians don't go, oh, we've just reached a new utopia of belief, the way the Greeks did, the way the Romans did. No, Christians, we go, oh, oh, we're, we're saved by grace. You're wondering why our marriages 
thrive and why we love people and why we sacrifice and why even when we suffer and we get cancer and we die, and all, we do it with joy. The reason we do is our king. We have an amazing king. We have a powerful king. We have a king that even death can't separate us from. We're not afraid of anything because our king. We just all point to our king. We even get together once a week to sing to our king. We get together and and. We do it in big places and small places, even online when we have to. But we get together to praise our king, hear from our king. We have a king, and he's changed everything for us. See, one of my mentors once said to me, I was really kind of overwhelmed by, what do I do as a leader to reach the needs of the world? I want to do things to make a difference. And he looked at me and he said, it's not complicated, Chris. Find good things to do and do them. Well, that's profound. That's C.S. Lewis level profound. Find good things and do them. And that's what we do as a church. We just, that's why we were in Philadelphia and Camden last week, helping people who are hurting. That's why we go to Guatemala and Costa Rica. That's why the Hope Center is at the back of this property. It's why we look at you and say, hey, help people in your life. Do good things because that's what the kingdom looks like. We're in a dark, broken world. Let's find good stuff and do it. When you see a need, you run to it, not away from it. That's what Christians do. We actively seek to make everything good and right. That's why we try to make relationships right. We ask for forgiveness. We seek peace. We want people to flourish. It's why we, we, we don't want anyone going hungry and anyone being alone and anyone not having their needs met and anyone staying sick when they don't have to be sick. We don't want any of that happening because we're Christians. That's why. Because we have a king. And Jesus said... If you're mine, if you're in my kingdom, you should do everything you can to bring heaven to earth. As it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. Jesus, to help us understand how we can do that and still live human lives, he said these words in Matthew 6. He said, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? See, Jesus knew what we'd worry about. He said, the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first. See, there has to be a priority. Seek first, the, there it is, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Now, C.S. Lewis said about this verse, he said what Jesus was talking about is first things and second things. Now, the Bible's not saying here that the second things don't matter. He's not saying that clothing and food and retirement accounts and making money and taking care of your family and your kids. and He's not saying those things don't matter. He's just saying they can't matter most. It's an issue of priority. C.S. says it very well. C.S. Lewis. You can't get second things by putting them first. You only get second things by putting the first things first. And see, the reason, so I can't say things that great, so I just quote C.S. Lewis for you, all right? So profound. So God understands that you have to do all these things. That's what Jesus is saying. He knows. He knows you need a house. He knows you need clothes. But he wants you to make his kingdom first. And what is his kingdom? His rule and reign in your life. And he promises you, if you will make more and more aligning with him and his kingdom, the priority in your life, all these other things will be added to you. You can trust him. He's going to come through every single time. So what Jesus is saying also here is that there's no greater life than life in the kingdom. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be freaked out as a Christian because of who God is. 
There's no greater life than life in the kingdom. You will not find a better life. You can chase anything you want. Build big houses, make lots of money. Maybe that one kid that becomes a pro athlete, I don't know. None of it will give you what being in the kingdom will. All the other things can be added later, but this is the thing. This is the thing that you were created for. In fact, Jesus was a great storyteller. And to help us understand, to get a picture of the kingdom of heaven, he told this story. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, when he says that, you just go, oh, this is going to be good. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, notice, not begrudging, in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and then went and bought that field. Now, just unpeel that for a second. Jesus is saying, if you ever get a taste of what life is like in the kingdom, if you ever get a taste of what your marriage could be if you bring heaven into it, your family could be if you bring heaven into it, your friendships could be if you bring heaven into it, this community can be, this church can be if we keep injecting heaven into it, Jesus said, you get a taste of that and you will give your life away chasing it. That's how great it is. Everything else will become second things to that first thing. That's what Jesus says. You'll sell everything you have because you see that this was it all along. This is the greatest thing. Now, that's how Jesus gave you a picture of it. But I got something to tell you today. I got a surprise for you. I recently saw the kingdom of heaven. You want me to show it to you? How many of you would like to see the kingdom of heaven? Yeah? Tough crowd, man. Tough crowd. So last week I preached, and my wife and I got on a plane. We went to Philadelphia. You guys all help with your generosity, help us do the biggest bunch of bags of hope, we call them, ever, to take via trailers up to Camden, New Jersey, which is right outside of Philadelphia. Camden, New Jersey is a very tough place, a food desert. There's no grocery stores. The kids get a good, nutritious meal once a day when they're in school, but what happens is when Christmas hits, there's two or three weeks, these kids come back starving and sick because they're eating Doritos and potted meat from the gas station. It's a real thing. I've seen it with my own eyes. Three years ago, we flew up there and just started a process. We, just said, we heard about what was going on. We said, that seems like a thing that's not right that we want to go make right. So we got on a plane, and now three years later, by God's grace, it's just become this big old thing with all these schools opening their doors to us. So we go up there, and the next morning, we're in Camden, New Jersey, and we're giving out all these bags to families. And I look over, and I saw the kingdom of heaven. And here's what it looked like. The kingdom of heaven. You say, why is that the kingdom of heaven? Because that little boy, when he came down the street that morning with his mom pushing that stroller, didn't have anything. But when he left, he had food and dignity. Because he's going to have a little bit of a Christmas with his siblings because of those bags. And we were able to give him a bag full of food, nutritious food, that if his family manages it, can last a couple of weeks and give them good meals. Look at him holding that bag. It's like he sold the field, sold everything he had to buy the field with the treasure in it. There it is. See, the kingdom of heaven is not a castle. It's the rule and reign of Jesus. You know what the rule of reign of Jesus sometimes looks like? It doesn't look like a church service sometimes. Sometimes it looks like a bunch of people from an affluent area in South Alabama getting on planes and getting in trucks and going across the country to make sure that that little guy has Christmas and food for a few weeks. And you go, there it is, the kingdom of heaven. 
And I think all of us, the beauty of it is all of us can be a part of bringing the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives. And I pray today that you would help us to bring the kingdom into our lives this Christmas in every possible way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.